This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 13th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Christians and capitalists haven't always gotten along. Ayn Rand and Mike Huckabee would have plenty to argue about, but it wasn't always that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Jay Richards' new book, Money, Greed, and God, Why Capitalism is the Solution and Not the Problem, explores just how consistent capitalism is with biblical teachings. We spoke following a forum for the book last week. One of the things you pointed out in the forum is that Adam Smith, more than being the father of economics, was Mm -hmm. also a moral philosopher. And far from being somebody who advocated the credo, greed is good, Mm -hmm. he spoke of what would later become known as capitalism uh, as something that would channel even wicked desires to socially useful purposes. Yes. Well, I, you know, the dilemma is that people often think that uh, that Smith made arguments like Ayn Rand and some others, this sort of idea that greed is good or that capitalism is based on greed. But as you said, if you look at Smith, I mean, he was a, a moral philosopher. He wrote the book, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, years before uh, his book, The Wealth of Nations. And, and what you find, if you look at what he actually said, you know, he says things like, in spite of their natural uh, rapacity and selfishness, business people are led as if by an invisible hand, so that without intending it, they do the good of society. Notice he says in spite of. In other words, it's not that greed's a good thing or that it's a vice, or even that capitalism is based on greed. His point is that even when people are greedy, it's sort of assuming that they will be, when you have a market economy, even greedy motives get channeled into socially productive outcomes. And that's his point. It's not that greed is good. It's also not that self-interest per se and selfishness are the same thing. There is an intuition that denies a lot of people, I think, the opportunity to reconcile their faith mm-hmm. with uh, an economic system. Uh, especially capitalism, because it it does seem very cold, mm-hmm. and it seems as if many of the decisions that you make as a capitalist are uh, cold, harsh, and 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 just absolutely <laughs> you know heartless, yeah. cold, rapacious, as, as yeah. Adam Smith would say, and and that just is a very difficult thing for people to to make sense of. Well, it is. Um, the reality is, especially in the Judeo-Christian tradition, is we, we don't have the benefit of living at the moment in the kingdom of God. We live in a fallen world, uh, which people are often going to do things for the wrong reason and often do the wrong thing. And so the real question is, of the live alternatives, given a fallen world, What's the best economic system? Not what's the platonic ideal, but what's the best of the alternatives? So that, yeah, of course, in capitalism, as in any other economic system, you're going to have greedy people, you're going to have money-grubbing people, you're going to have you know, cold-hearted decisions and things like that. Uh, but I don't think you could say that capitalism causes people to be that way. Moreover, surely you want an economic system that at least channels those kinds of motives into socially productive behavior, unlike, say, socialism, uh, in which people's greed gets channeled into you know, trying to curry favor with political uh, <laughs> positions and things like that. So we don't have the opportunity of living in a world where there are no greedy people, but we do have an opportunity of having an economic system that at least incentivizes people to do uh, helpful things. Well, I live this every day. Mm-hmm. I am a Quaker, mm-hmm. and Quakers typically are left wing mm-hmm. and there is often a very different view that are that is taken to people who are opposed to war um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the common questions that Quakers ask themselves and others is uh, how does your life remove the causes of war 
there's a difference between seeing the gun pointed at you right. uh, of the state and the implied gun <laughs> being pointed at you when the state uh, confiscates wealth. And I think that is mm-hmm. another thing that people have, have trouble with. Well, they do. And I mean, unless you're a pacifist, and of course pacifists focus on this every day, but we all ought to be asking, what are the appropriate circumstances in which state coercion should be allowed? Because I mean, surely we all would agree that given the alternative, if you can cause something to happen voluntarily rather than coercively, that's what you ought to have happen. And we all have to ask ourselves the question, where's the line? Where does coercion become inappropriate or even immoral? And it is ironic that people that uh, oppose sort of military coercion, nevertheless, as you pointed out, don't notice the thousands of ways in which we're coerced every day by the state. And in fact, many folks that would call themselves pacifists still think it's perfectly appropriate for the state to confiscate the uh, legally gotten wealth of, of uh, individuals. And so... Unfortunately, I think that question of coercion is one that we ought to all be asking. It seems that your book is is sort of an attempt to gel uh, groups of people mm-hmm. who really ought to agree more. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are two groups that uh, are often credited with creating the Reagan revolution. Right. That is fiscal conservatives and people who are culturally or socially conservative. But uh, in recent years, there has been this sort of fissure between Mm -hmm. uh, the people who are Republicans because they understand economics and people who are Republicans because they are culturally conservative. And there's certainly a value to bridging that gap so that the Mike Huckabees of the world don't get control Mm -hmm. of the narrative of what conservatism really means. Sure. And I mean, some people would say, well, the, you know, political right in the United States is merely a marriage of convenience and that these people don't naturally go together. I don't think that's right, or at least I don't think that has to be correct. In fact, I think uh, it, it actually makes sense. There are certain uh, themes in cultural conservatism, the idea of the importance of civil society, of private institutions, churches, voluntary organizations, families. Uh, a free market functions better in a society with a vibrant civil society. And so, in fact, I think in some ways there's at least some themes uh, that uh, economic conservatives or free market folks uh, ought to find reassuring and useful on the social side. And social conservatives that may be more interested in social issues uh, don't realize that I think their own most foundational principles ought to lend them to support free markets. And those are the people I'm frankly wanting to convince, people that uh, more or less have a kind of Judeo-Christian philosophical and moral moorings, but nevertheless think there's something morally unsavory about capitalism. Where do Christians most often go wrong when they evaluate the moral quality of capitalism? Well, I I actually point out eight myths, basically, that I call eight chapters in the book. Each one deals with one of these myths. And I think those are really the myths are the things that Christians often believe. Uh, One's the piety myth, which is just focusing on your good intentions rather than the outcomes of policies. If you do that, you know, well, if you mean well, you won't even think about the consequence of a policy. The greed myth, which we mentioned, which both advocates and critics of capitalism believe, decided that capitalism is based on greed. The nirvana myth, in which you compare capitalism not with the real alternatives, but, you know, with nirvana or with the kingdom of God. Those are three of them um, that I think Christians often unreflectively believe. And it doesn't take that much work to realize, okay, yeah, these are in fact myths, the zero-sum game myth, that if one person wins, somebody has to lose. These are all things that I think can be shown 
to be false. And I think they're kind of the intellectual impediments that prevent Christians and other religious folks from accurately evaluating capitalism. Christians and capitalists and critics of capitalism all get the notion of self-interest wrong regularly. I think that's exactly right. I mean, people remember Adam Smith, you know, he says, uh, you know, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, the baker that we expect our meal, but from his regard to his own interest. Smith is talking about self-interest there, but that's not the same thing as selfishness. Remember every time you, you know, take a breath or take your vitamins or eat a meal, look both ways before you cross the street, you're acting in your self-interest. That's perfectly legitimate. It's not just morally neutral. In fact, it's praiseworthy. Uh, society only works if most people do these kind of self-interested actions. Selfishness is self-interest that's been disordered uh, or greed, and so that's why the Judeo-Christian tradition considers it a vice rather than a virtue. But uh, Smith's point was not, yeah, somehow greed or selfishness is good. His point was uh, people in the market can pursue their narrow self-interest, that is, those things they're most concerned about, they know something about and are interested in, whether it's the well-being of their children or their families or themselves, they can pursue that. And nevertheless, given a market structure with a you know, price system, uh, an, a larger order will result that will distribute goods and services more efficiently than a command economy. That was his point, that we don't have to be omniscient in a market in order for things to turn out right. It's okay for us to pursue both our legitimate self-interest and even if people pursue selfishness, a market will tend to channel their behavior into socially beneficial ways. Jay Richards is author of the new book, Money, Greed, and God, Why Capitalism is the Solution and Not the Problem. The full book forum is available at cato.org.